Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence, and sometimes have some fun along the way. I am your host and guest, Doug Grothuis, Professor of Philosophy at Denver Seminary. Our topic for this podcast is Lament as a Tonic for Suffering. The scripture I'd like to start with is Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We live most, most of our lives or at least much of our lives, in between those two clauses. First, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we have sick hearts about many deferred hopes. But then after the comma, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And from a Christian viewpoint, the only complete fulfillment that we will experience will be in the life to come and the final kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. But today, and before then, We need some wise patterns of how to cope with various types of suffering. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. So how can we cope with suffering and chronic sadness? My conviction is that Christianity is true, rational, and pertinent to the whole of life. I've done a podcast on that called Apologetics in a Nutshell. I've written a big book on that called Christian Apologetics and done a lot of other writing and speaking on that subject. Now, there is something called the problem of evil, and this is the idea that Does it make any sense to say that God is all good and all powerful when there's so much evil in the world? Seems that if God were all good, he wouldn't want any evil, or at least this much evil. And if he were all powerful, he would stop it, or he wouldn't allow it to happen to begin with. So this is a challenge to the coherence of theism as a whole and Christian theism. So I have responded to that in depth in a chapter in Christian Apologetics I'm not going to address that 
too much during this talk. What I'm going to talk about, rather, is a Christian way of coping with suffering in light of believing the biblical worldview. And on the biblical account, suffering and evil exist because of human beings' rebellion against God. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Sin has entered the world. There's something wrong with everything. And the whole world is groaning in redemption, awaiting, groaning in travail, awaiting its redemption. We see that in Romans chapter 8. But that God has not abandoned the world to its suffering because he came in the incarnation to lead a perfect life, die for our sins, rise again from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead and bring about the new heavens and the new earth. He'll bring about a final judgment and a purgation of the universe. Now, I believe that Christianity handles the philosophical problem of evil better than any other worldview, but I'm not going to make that case here. What I'm going to say is that the Christian scriptures give us a way of suffering called lament, which is a kind of tonic. It is not a cure for suffering, but it is a way of learning how to suffer well. Suffering is a skill we have to learn. No one wants to learn it, but if you live very long, you will experience the suffering of loss, loss of employment, loss of friends, family, health, uh, so many forms of suffering and loss in this world. But let me talk about lament as a tonic for suffering. What do I mean by lament? It's the anguish cry of sorrow, grief, and often anger made before God and with hope of resolution. Lament is caused by the loss of something good or by the fear of the loss of something good, such as justice, health, or a loving relationship. One may lament over oneself, others, or the creation itself. Now, I should amend that a little bit and say that some lament happens after the worst thing has already happened. So there is no hope for, let's say, uh, the recovery of a child who has died five years ago. That child is dead and buried so tragically. But uh, from a Christian viewpoint, one can certainly hope for a reunion in the world to come. So lament might be over something where hope, at least in this life, is gone, but there still could be hope pertaining to the future in God's supernatural kingdom. Now, something I like to use as an illustration for lament are what are called spirituals, or the old term was Negro spirituals. There are many of these, and it's remarkable that while Africans were taken to America to become slaves and chattel property, many of them took on the religion of their oppressors and found in the Christian message hope in this life and in the life to come. And so there are many of these spirituals that really cry out from the depths of anguish, suffering, but cry out to God. You may have heard one called, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child a Long Way from Home. There's so many others. Uh, that could be very profound. And I encourage whoever is listening to listen to some of these spirituals, perhaps sung by Jesse Norman, who was a tremendous black opera singer who also sang spirituals. Or you think of the blues, songs like Motherless Children. These are laments. We have 60 psalms of lament in the Psalter, to name a few, 6, 13, 22, 39, 88, 90, which is my favorite. Psalm 137, probably about 60 psalms of lament in various literary forms. 
So laments cry out to God in anguish, sometimes in anger, in sorrow, often in desperation. But we have to remember that they are prayers. So there is some element of hope there. We also see this idea of lamenting our state in the world in the book of Job, which says we are born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Or think of Ecclesiastes 9.11. This is from the King James Version, where the sage says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. It's a theme in the book of Ecclesiastes that life is often unjust and profoundly unsatisfying, and yet it is not the counsel of despair. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, there is recourse to God and his judgments in history and the goodness that he brings in the midst of the unfairness that we just heard described. But when I think of lament, I have to come to Christ's absolute suffering and death on the cross for the redemption of humanity. He utters the lament of all laments by crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. Now, notice that he is praying. He is praying a psalm of David, Psalm 22, which is a lament. Let me read you something from Michael Card, recording artist, also an author, from his song, The Hidden Face of God, from 2006. This is about lament. Come lift up your sorrow and offer your pain. Come make a sacrifice of all your shame. There in your wilderness he is waiting for you to worship with your wounds, for he's wounded too. So Jesus cried out on the cross, having been impaled in the midst of the most brutal suffering physically that we can imagine, and spiritual suffering bearing the sins of the world, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he also cried out, It is finished. He finished the work he was called to do. Christians are also called to, in a way, participate in Christ's suffering through lament. This is the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now Paul's talking about suffering for the cause of ministry and for helping people. He's not talking about suffering that you receive because you've broken the law or you've done something stupid. He's really talking about suffering for what is righteous and what is good, And he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Well, I just said that on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And he did the atoning work for humanity. That is finished. But what Paul means is that our sufferings as followers of Jesus can contribute to bringing goodness to the world. Our sufferings will never atone for sin. That is the work of Christ and Christ alone as the sinless substitute who took the punishment that we deserve. However, in some way, being in union with Christ, Paul can say, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So lament is the heartfelt cry to heaven in the midst of suffering 
whatever the cause of the suffering may be. Let me talk about lightening the load of suffering. First of all, we need to let grief take its course. People grieve in different ways and at different speeds. Some people grieve by needing to talk about what they're sad about. Other people grieve more silently. Some people become very angry. Some people are not angry but are deeply sad. So we need to be kind to one another as people suffer. And this can be a cliche, but in this case it isn't. We need to be kind to ourselves and realize that if you have lost a spouse of many years or your child has been diagnosed with a serious illness, then that's something that you will grieve and you need to lament. And there's nothing wrong with lamenting. You need to let yourself and others weep, accept their tears, listen to their tears, take note of them, because God does. Psalm 56, 8 says, You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And then we're told in Revelation seven seventeen that eventually God will wipe away every tear when he's made all things right. So some Christians think that they have to keep a happy face all the time. They need to rejoice in everything about everything. That's not true. Now, a Christian can rejoice in his or her salvation, can rejoice in looking at the long run, can rejoice in the good things that remain, but we cannot rejoice if we have lost a loved one or if we've been given a serious diagnosis by a physician. We are concerned. So instead of trying to stuff down those emotions, affective response to a troubling situation, what we need to do, rather, is turn it upward, turn it toward the Lord and get into a conversation with the Lord about this. Cry out to God in lament, but also with hope. Let me talk about a psalm uh, that is very powerful in lament. It's Psalm 88. It's a psalm of a man named Heman the Hezrahite. We don't know much about him. But from the psalm, you can tell that he was chronically ill. And my first wife, Rebecca, was chronically ill with a number of maladies before she became fatally ill. And she passed away in 2018. I'll come back to that. But Hema the Ezrahite is praying. But the last line of this very doleful psalm is translated one of two ways from the Hebrew. It's either, darkness is my closest friend, or all my friends or in darkness. Psalm 88 is one of the two psalms that do not resolve into thanksgiving or praise or hope. The other one is Psalm 39, the psalm of David. So Heman the Ezraite is suffering. He is lamenting. He is wailing before God. And by the time we get to the end of the psalm, all he can say is the honest declaration, darkness is my closest friend. And that's fine for them, for him. And it's fine for us many times. You can't find the bright side right now because there isn't one. So it's better to recognize that in a prayer before God than to try to trick yourself into being happy or thankful when you're not. Now you can always come back to things that do not change the character of God, the reality of your salvation, 
But in this fallen, broken world, we often have to lament, and sometimes it's a Psalm 88, lament, darkness is my closest friend. Can you hear that God? Can you change that God? He can, because that season is not forever if you're a Christian. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I was in a long season of mourning with my first wife, Rebecca, with her many illnesses and then her dementia. And when she died, it was a terribly sad time, but I knew that she was free from this body that had betrayed her. And I also knew that God was opening up a new door and a new chapter for me. And that really started to end the chapter of a time to mourn. Of course, I still mourn. I still miss my first wife. But now it's more of a chapter of dancing that I have remarried and have a new kind of life and God is opening up new possibilities. So there's a time for every purpose under heaven, time to mourn and a time to dance. But there's also a time to just pray the last line of Psalm 88, honestly, before the Lord and say, darkness is my closest friend. We shouldn't try to cheer people up or cheer ourselves up out of season. Let me read you Proverbs 25, verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. There are times when you simply have to be with people, perhaps affirming your love for them, perhaps being silent. There's a time to cheer people up. But in America, given our optimism and the can-do attitude and the impatience with grief, our temptation is to rush it along, as I mentioned earlier. But we should not try to cheer people up out of season, or even ourselves. We need to be honest with our emotions, present them to God, try to align them with what is true about reality that we know from Scripture, but realize that healing takes time. And then also, in this context of lightening the load of suffering for ourselves and others through Lent, don't make promises you cannot fulfill. Keep your word. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says, It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. When people are going through deep seasons of sorrow and lament, their friends sometimes make rash promises because they are moved to help. And I can think of one very rash promise that was made to me and to my wife through the last years of her suffering. And this particular person didn't follow through at all and just did nothing. I contacted the person. I said, we were, we have this arrangement that I would do something and you would do something to help my wife. Nothing. I've never heard anything. That's not good. So it's better to not make a promise than to make one that you do not fulfill. We should always, of course, be praying for those who are lamenting. And remember the prayer, whether we are lamenting and we're voicing that to God or whether we are praying for others who are going through profound suffering, that the prayer should come really from two sources in a way, from our own experience, so we can't deny, and then also from the truth of Scripture, because our sorrow, as well as our joy, as well as our hope, all of our emotions need a biblical direction. They need to be oriented and reoriented according to the Scripture. That's why it's so significant to pray through these psalms of lament when we are lamenting, 
I mentioned earlier that Psalm 90 is very powerful. This is a Psalm of Moses, and he is quite direct with the Lord, uh, talking about how much struggle and suffering there is in this world. And he cries out and he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, as many years as we have seen sorrow. So this is a man who knew God, who led the children of Israel out of bondage. But he is lamenting before God, make us glad, O Lord, because we have experienced great suffering and struggle. So as we pray for ourselves and we pray for others, let's be honest with our feelings, but not let our feelings control us. Our feelings rather have to be submitted to Scripture and need to be redirected by that living and active Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then I'll finish up, although so much more could have been said. We need to remember the lament for those who are redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ is not forever. And when Rebecca was suffering horribly with dementia, and I wrote about this in my book, Walking Through Twilight, I would often read scripture to her. And this was not some kind of vague hope or happy thoughts to take her mind off her suffering. Rebecca Merrill Grotheis and I worked hard on our worldview to have a rational account of Christianity in light of the evidence, in light of other worldviews, in light of other religions. And Becky edited all my books up till the first edition of Christian Apologetics. We worked together on her books. And we did not do Christianity on the cheap, intellectually. So when she was suffering horribly, I would read her these passages. Let me read you one that I would often read to her. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things had passed away, has passed away. Let me end with an anecdote. A few years before Becky died, we were on our way to go out to dinner, and she was really lamenting her fate. And I said, Becky, I know this is terrible, but one day we'll all be in memory, and we'll be in the new heavens and the new earth, dancing, and there'll be no tears and no pain. And she looked at me very soulfully and said, but Doug, is it really true? Now, you have to know that uh, Becky could not remember a time when she didn't believe in Jesus as her Savior. And as I said, she and I had worked through our worldview very thoroughly over about 30 years. But dementia does some terrible things to you, terrible suffering. Losing one's mental abilities and ability to speak well is more horrific than I hope any of you will ever understand. So she needed assurance. And what I said to her was, Becky, do you think I'm smart? And she said, yes. I said, do you remember that big apologetics book that I wrote? She said, yes. I said, you believed every word of that book, and I assure you that what we believe is true. And she looked at me and nodded. That was not the end of her existential struggles with her dementia, by no means. But it encouraged her. And it illustrates at least two points. One is 
that apologetics has application to practical life and to the problem of suffering and lament because she was heartened that we had put in that work and we had good reason to believe Christianity was true, even when it seemed like God was absent or God was not doing what we wanted him to do. And secondly, in an interesting way, I was believing for her because she was struggling to believe, given her intense suffering, her mental debility. So in a way, I was vicariously believing for her. And in that way, I was being Christ-like through the grace of Christ. So I hope that this podcast has been pretty serious, no fun along the way. This time, lament as a tonic for suffering has been helpful to you. If you'd like to know more about this subject, I wrote a book called Walking Through Twilight, A Wife's Illness, A Philosopher's Lament with InterVarsity Press. And if I can get the show notes up, you will find a number of readings on this subject. I would refer you to the classic by C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed, where he laments the loss of his wife, Joy Davidman. There's another more recent work by the philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff called Lament for a Son. It's a musical recording by Michael Card that I quoted from The Hidden Face of God. But spend time in the scriptures, particularly those psalms of lament. And remember the absolute lament of all time. The apotheosis of laments was uttered by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet Jesus was giving us hope in the midst of suffering because if that suffering has meaning to atone for sin, and if that suffering is an example of how to give our lives for others, it's a both and, then suffering for the Christian is not meaningless. And the same Christ who died on the cross and was buried, left that tomb empty, rose again from the dead, showed himself of many convincing signs and proofs to his followers, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is now our advocate and high priest, and he will come again. If you'd like to know more about me and my ministry, please consider going to douglasgrotheis.com. I also have a public Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.